Every winter, folks from the last Green Valley and the Department of Energy and Environmental Protection go out and check out how many eagles they can find, and they make an annual survey of the midwinter eagle count. And we love bringing them in after the fact and talking about how our eagles are doing here in northeast Connecticut. So I'm joined by Chief Ranger Bill Reed from the last Green Valley. We've got Fran Kafalis from TLGV, and also Brian Hess, a biologist in the Wildlife Division of DEEP. Well, good morning, eagle hunters. Good to have you back again today. And, well, Chief Ranger, give a little summary of what the midwinter eagle count is all mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a, it's a national count uh, and also one that happens right here in Connecticut. And Brian heads that up. And uh, several years ago, um, I noticed that in Connecticut Wildlife Magazine, there was only one eagle that was listed on the Quinnebog River. And this was right after we did our source to sea paddle excursion that that year 2009 and so i offered up our assistance to uh to help go out and be part of the midwinter count mainly because we just paddled all the rivers and so we knew the good view locations we knew you know the good spots to go and uh it's grown and grown over the years um to the point where this year we had 35 volunteers you know lots of different locations i think 23 15 survey teams, 31 locations, um, and 35 volunteers. And so it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun to help to help basically what is citizen science. We help the biologists gather data. Um, we follow their protocols, and that's really important, and feed that information back. And so a lot of people are part a small little project, but we're part of a much bigger national project, which is very rewarding. And the biologist is here, Brian Hess. You want to give us the results, and what did you find? Are they still as they've been? Are there more eagles now than before? What is the opinion after the survey? Well, the results are still rolling in from this year's survey. Uh, all of those data sheets are filled out and mailed, and then we've got one person on staff who's entering them all, and, uh, and he is not uh, completely finished with all of that yet. Um, <laughs> however, I will say that, that the results, despite the fact that we had a pretty warm December, uh, they look, uh, yeah. uh, you guys can you chime in and judge, uh, right. uh, enter your judgment here, but I think that they're looking pretty good. Yeah, we, we really are. I mean, we, we had a count of 22 this year. Last year, we had a count of 26. Now, keep in mind that it's up to experts like Brian to determine whether this is individual birds or not, um, or if this is um, one bird might have been counted twice. Right. One of the things that I will do when I receive all these is sort of line up these data sheets. Um, So, you know, we might have 15 observation sites along the Connecticut River. Um, If you have an eagle heading south at, you know, 956 from one site and flying to the south from the north end of the next observation site at, you know, 1007, uh, it, there's a good chance that that might be the same eagle, and you might uh, adjust, the, adjust the numbers to, to make sure that you're not double-counting animals. That's, and that's, that's important. <clears throat> Why do you do it this time of the year? Why is it done in January, not in July? Because, you know, this year I checked it out. Wyndham Airport had a high of 29 that day and a low of 12. It was a cold day to be hanging out there watching for eagles. Right. Well, it's cold for us, uh, but it's actually pretty uh, decent weather for eagles. Uh, you know, they're not really too bothered by uh, by the low temperatures. Um, they're not bothered so much by the temperatures as much as they are by uh, that pesky ice that creeps in on those lakes and, and ponds that they like to uh, to forage in. So, um, 
in the winter, Connecticut can actually end up hosting really large congregations of eagles, especially when uh, things are much colder up north. Um, our resident birds here tend to stick around because we usually are usually our larger rivers will remain open to some degree unless it's a very cold winter. Um, <clears throat> but we will have birds from you know Canada and northern New England uh, who you know might decide to vacation down south and see uh, and see if things are a little bit nicer in Connecticut. Um, and Fran Cavallis from TLGV, this is really right up TLGV's alley, right? What the Last Green Valley is all about, just kind of getting back out and protecting our wildlife, protecting our uh, our surroundings. Absolutely, Wayne. Um, you know, it, to get um, our members attracted to participating in citizen science is a huge, a huge part of what, why we do this. And, and to give them that opportunity to kind of experience uh, you know the wonders of the last green valley in person you know to see a bald eagle in the in the flesh in the feather i guess um is is just incredible and we saw one last weekend and because uh, bill was doing another eagle program and it was i mean i was just yeah. amazed it, by it I, ne I never get tired of it Tell us about what that program was, Bill, because that was more of an indoor kind of thing, or did you actually get right. outside? Right, it was two-part. Well, I've, I've, you know, after doing this for several years and, and getting to know Brian more and feeling that I've, I've got enough experience observing nests and reading and all that. Yeah, you're, felt, you're, you're now a wildlife biologist, too. Right? Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I'm, a, I'm a cheerleader. I just have pom-poms. That's all I do is I'm a cheerleader. Uh, so I've, I put together a PowerPoint program about eagles uh, and about the eagles that have returned to, to Connecticut. Um, and I've done it at libraries, I've done it at senior centers, I've done it at different, different places. And so if anybody out there is interested in this, and, you know, let me know, I'll be happy to come do it. Um, and so it was a two-part program. We did a program about eagles and, and what's happening with the nesting population in Connecticut and using Brian's data, statewide data. Um, and then we went out to see if we could find them. And so if you want to see a bald eagle, a great place to go is the fish hatchery in Central Village. Um, and almost every mm -hmm. time I've been there, I've seen them. And if you're there for a few hours, sure enough, you're probably going to see one fly over or soaring above. And um, we, we just got there, and sure enough, there was a beautiful adult and a tall stand of pines. Um, one of the people that was with us, whistling, hey, hey, turned around, and I walked right by it, didn't even see it. I was focused on the river. But uh, it sat there for a while, and then it flew off, and Fran got some great pictures, and fully-fledged adult. It might be a sub-adult, a little bit of dark still on the head and, and on the, the tail. Absolutely gorgeous bird. Uh, uh, amazing, amazing to see. Fran, what do you do with those pictures? And the reason I ask, I'm curious if eagle lovers, the general public, can get a look at them. How oh. do they see your pictures? So all they need to do is go to our Facebook or Instagram feed. Um, we've been posting eagle photos every single day of the month of January. I, I declared it Eagle Month last year. Um, so I don't know if anybody else believes it, but I certainly believe January is Eagle <laughs> Month now in the last Green Valley. Um, and uh, so we've been posting photos, uh, not just the ones that we've taken, but uh, ones over the years that our, our members have taken or uh, other photographers that they have shared with us. And um, it, it's kind of interesting, Wayne, because our, you know our Facebook feed is kind of like lighting up <laughs> right now because people love to hear about the eagle. So we try and post the photos and some you know tidbits and facts that we get from Connecticut Deep or uh, from other uh, experts. 
to go along with those images. And you can Facebook The Last Green Valley if you want to check out those pictures that Fran is talking about. Let me just talk about the weather between this year and last year. As I recall, Brian Hess, it was really, really cold last year when you did this. This year, we've had cold weather this week, but that's after the fact. That's after you did it. And even though it was 29 and 12, 29 high, 12 degrees low, it has been a mild month. Yet the count is down. And I was intrigued by the fact we were talking about how the eagles don't like when there's ice because it limits their ability to go fishing. But we didn't have as much ice this year, yet the count was down a little bit. So I'm kind of curious how that all blends together. Right. So uh, I think I might have uh, uh, mixed that message a bit. <laughs> so uh, we had a really warm December, as you'll, I'm, I'm sure you know. So there was not much ice out there. I, I was uh, personally, I went to uh, Farmington Wet Reservoir, Wadsworth Reservoir over on the western side of the state. Um, and it, there was no ice on it for the, the first, or there was only about 20% ice for the first time that I can remember having open water at that site. Um, when there's open water, the eagles aren't as concentrated around, um, you know, rivers and things like that. But in addition, the birds from Canada, the birds from northern New England, they still have open water up there. They don't need to come down here. They don't need to push south into Connecticut to find, uh, to find food. So uh, the, the thing about eagles is they want to do as little work as they possibly can. Um, and this is true generally, but specifically in the winter when they've got a... Uh, you know, they've got to survive all winter long on those those food reserves that they got and, and conserve that energy. Uh, the name of the game is being lazy. And so if they can be lazy and stay up in, you know, New Hampshire or something like that, they will. Um, so we'll see what happens with the weather, though, uh, uh, you know, in the, coming, in the coming months. It's possible that things could freeze up up there. Um, is the fact that you saw a few less eagles this year than last year any concern? I mean, it was pretty close to last year's number, just a little bit lower. But should we worry about that? No, um, I'm not. I'm not too concerned about that. First of all, there was the fact that there's a lot of open. There's a lot of open water to the north of us, so there's a lot of uh, um, a lot of other places that those birds could be. Um, secondly, the the midwinter eagle survey, while it's a great you know, it's a great opportunity and it's a long-term data set. There's a lot of noise built into it because it's only on one day every year. Uh, the number of people that are involved varies. Uh, the number of sites that we watch varies. Uh, the weather varies. So there's a, lot of, there's a lot of noise. You have to pay attention to more of the general trend than the uh, specific year-to-year -year variations. And most people you talk to wouldn't have these, hand, these numbers handy, but I got them handy. December at Bradley averaged 1.5 degrees above normal, above average. However, the month started off cold for the first 13 days, and starting on December the 14th, the rest of the month was warm, and in some cases very warm, including the 21st and 22nd, and also the 28th and 29th. So that would speak to your point that it was a mild December, and there wasn't much ice around. When there is ice, and I bet there's ice now after what we had earlier this week, then where do the eagles feed themselves? Um, they're going to they're gonna concentrate themselves on rivers, um, places where the where the water stays open, um, particularly another, another spot where you will often find them is places where the river is moving quickly, like the uh, um, the downstream side of a, a dam or something like that. Um, those places will remain open even when that weather falls far below freezing, or when um, the banks get narrower too, and it absolutely. forces a faster flow. Mm -hmm, yeah. Absolutely, um, and you know, 
frankly, if, if it gets too cold, our, our eagles might just head, head south a little bit, too. Uh, that said, they will... Much like humans do. Hello yeah. yeah. <laughs> that said, they, they will be back. Uh, our, our nesting season in Connecticut starts around the beginning of February. Those, those pairs join up again and form, start to form their pair bonds, repair that nest. Um, and, you know, most of, our, most of our nests are starting to incubate eggs uh, at right. the end of February, beginning of March. And that's that's really the critical time for us. And, and um, you know, the one thing that we did find out uh, from some pictures and other sort of reports on Saturday, uh, Coventry Lake had like seven eagles. There's a little bit of ice there. Webster Lake in Massachusetts, 13 eagles that day. All these immatures and adults all hang out. And there's a successful nest on, on Webster Lake in Massachusetts. So I said, that's where all the eagles were. They're hanging out at Coventry <laughs> Over the Lake. State line. And, I mean, our, our locations, we only had a, two eagles counted on the lakes and ponds of our locations. Most of it were, were rivers this year. So, Brian, what is it about this part of the state that the eagles like? Is the fact that we are a little bit rural here, a little bit, rather than the rest of the state, is that a big attraction for them? I don't know that it's necessarily the rural character of this area that's uh, that's attracting them as much as it is just the, the the rivers and the quality of the rivers um, I think they're they're more interested in water quality um, we do have some I would call them Wayne urban eagles in this state uh, there's a there's a pair in downtown New Haven there's another <laughs> pair uh, there's there's actually a couple pairs in Hartford um, right on the river uh, in, in, in the mm-hmm. In, within the city limits of Hartford, um, so we do have some um, some that are, are really tolerant of human disturbance, the presence of people, that sort of thing. So the water is the attraction. Then they don't care about the people; they like the water because fish are in the water. They like the water and they like the big trees. Yeah. Now we had a call during the break, and she asked, "Do they like saltwater fish as well?" And my answer would be, they like fish. They don't care that. But do, they, do eagles go after saltwater fish as well? Sure, they, they absolutely will. We have had nesting pairs on um, uh, the islands off of uh, Norwalk. Um, we've ha- we definitely have uh, eagles that hang out on the shoreline all, all year long. I would say they probably don't go too far out, bridging you know, out in the middle of the water or anything like that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, saltwater, freshwater, um, you know, dead animals on the side of the road, something that someone else caught, you know, it's all good for an eagle. Have any of the three of you seen an eagle out here on the Willimantic River at some point, maybe behind the mills? Yeah. Bill's nodding his head, maybe yeah. more than one for you, right? Right, right. You know, and uh, usually the Willimantic is one of the locations that we do uh, survey. Uh, this year, the team leader wasn't able to, to, to be with us that day, so we didn't do the Willimantic. And, and during the survey, we haven't seen eagles on the Willimantic as much uh, as, say, the Quinnebog or the Chetucket. I think it's because it's its size um, and, um, you know, for whatever reasons. But we certainly see them uh, in the, during the paddle season. Uh, and I've been at events in Willimantic, and bald eagle flies right overhead. So most people listening to this, I assume, have seen eagles. Mansfield Hollow is a great place to see eagles. Um, there was an adult pair hanging out there last January and February. Um, Did you say parrot? 
an adult pair. Oh, pair, okay. Yeah, an adult <laughs> pair. An, an adult pair of eagles. Parrot. <laughs> Clearly was a male and female that were that were a breeding pair because the way they were hanging out together. Pair ad is not pair right. ad. Okay, right. Wayne, I get it. Right. Okay. Uh, and so, yeah, there's, eagle, there's eagles on the Willimannock and, and in the area for sure. These volunteers that you had going out on January the 12th, who were they? How do you find volunteers for right. this? Because I'm guessing maybe in 2020, when you do it again, there may be some people right. listening now that go, right. I'd like to do that. Sure, sure. You know, we, we have uh, volunteers that, that come and go, uh, so to speak. Some will, some will do it for a few years, and then for whatever reason, they can't. They're always on the list. I contact everybody that's ever been a volunteer in the past to come out and help out. The important thing to, for effective citizen science is that we have team leaders that come back every year that are familiar with the location. They're familiar with what to look for. They know what a bald eagle looks like. They can tell the difference between an immature bald eagle and a turkey vulture. Uh, and so that's they're the data recorders. They're the ones that sort of run the process. And I will assign any, any number of volunteers to the different teams. A lot of the volunteers come back to the same location. Now, if there are new people that want to come in, I'll usually take them with me because I want them to see an eagle, and I do the fish hatchery. I'm the chief ranger. I get the place where the big bird feeder is, all right? You want to see birds? Put a feeder out. Rank has its privilege. Uh, rank yeah. has its privilege. And so, and when we started to help with the survey, that was the first place we went. You know, we went to the fish hatchery, and then it grew and grew and grew. And so then more teams came in, and so we assigned them to different locations. And, but the, 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 the most important part is the team leaders. That's what's really important. And when the team leader wasn't able to do the Willimannock this year, I just didn't assign anybody. Um, uh, so that's, that's, that's part of it. So maybe next year. Yeah, maybe yeah. next year. I assume next year, right. Fran, did you have a role in the Midwinter Bald Eagle Survey? Uh, my job is I'm one of those volunteers, Wayne, that doesn't really know <laughs> enough to be a team leader. But I, uh, I stand around and I point at birds in the sky and say, hey, Bill. What's that? <laughs> Bill, what's that? Fran, um, Fran came on my team. So. Yeah. So I've, and I've done it for two years now, so it's, for me it's a, it's, it's a great learning experience. Brian, do these eagles announce their presence? Do they make any noise? Is there any bird calls at all? Or do you have to really be eagle-eyed, pun intended, to be able to find these things mostly perching on branches? Um, they do vocalize. And it's not, uh, I will point out, and this I feel like is the cursory thing that a biologist must point out whenever eagle vocalizations are mentioned. <laughs> um, when, whenever you see in the movies or a television commercial an eagle fly by, they have that, that long majestic screech. Yeah. That is a red-tailed hawk. Um, <laughs> that is a little Hollywood wizardry to make uh, eagles sound much more impressive than they are. Really, it's kind of a, a, cla a chattering squeak that they kind of make. Um, <clears throat> right, but okay. That that aside, when you're out there on the on the midwinter eagle survey, uh, what you're really doing is just kind of scanning the shoreline to look for for birds. The first thing I usually do when I arrive at my spot is uh, is take a, a long, slow scan of the shoreline, uh, especially concentrating on things like evergreens to see if there's any uh, uh, any like large bird shapes in there. Um, the adults are great because those white heads. 
even even when they're back in the shadows, they pop. They they stand out um, against uh, uh, you know against a dark background. Uh, the immature is going to be a little bit tougher to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once I've once I you know have convinced myself that I've got all of the birds that might already be just sitting there, it's a matter of waiting and seeing if anything moves. Um, so that's kind of the that, that's sort of the technique. Uh, and you you just kind of have to sort of sit there and. Um, and be patient and, and see what happens. Uh, it's it's a skill that uh, uh, you know in modern society I find is is one that uh, uh, even even myself I, it, it it takes some concentration and some patience to do. So just to sit and see what you see. Now this was not part of my original plan today, but Brian inspired me to find something on Google, which means YouTube here. And I don't know what this is because I just brought it up. I've not heard it yet. But the title says, Bald Eagle Screech or Hawk. How do you tell the difference? It's 40 seconds. I don't know what this is going to be, but let's <laughs> check it out. And it starts with silence. Brian says that's the bald eagle. All right, so that was all eagle. I thought there might be an eagle versus hawk on there to play along with what Brian was saying. But anyway, so that's that's what an eagle sounds like. So so like 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 Bill or or, or Fran, have you actually been out in the wilds and you've heard that sound and it sh- it shows you where to look? Uh, I haven't heard the sound and as as a way to identify that oh there's an eagle over there. Uh, when I've heard the sound is during the nesting season and the adult. Uh, parents or the adult pair will communicate with each other in such a way. Um, there's a couple of nests that I'm familiar with and I help monitor them. And if I'm at that location um, and I can see that there's an adult in the nest, if the if the, the mate is coming with a fish, there'll usually be some noise. As soon as there are young eagles in the nest, boy, uh, it, when they're hungry, you know that there's, there's, there's eagles there because they make a lot of noise especially when an adult's coming in with a fish uh, and that's that's when i've that's when i've heard the eagles communicating um one of our volunteers has helped monitor a nest but uh mostly by listening um she can't really see it from her location the landowner isn't comfortable with people up there looking at the nest and so she finds a spot where she will sit for hours and go by audio basically listening and she's almost become an expert on the differences in the types of communications between the adults or the or the young. Um, but for me, that that's the only time I've ever heard them. They don't fly and scream. It's not like a, a hawk where you'll hear a hawk vo- vocalizations as it soars. It's really around the nest that you hear them the most, for me. And Brian, you talked about how they're about ready to start laying their eggs and raising their young. At what point do those baby eagles begin to fledge and begin to eventually fly and leave the nest? So there, we normally in Connecticut are uh, eggs are eggs are laid around usually around last week of February, mm-hmm. first two weeks of March. Uh, the incubation period is about five weeks um, from and and so from the the time when that first egg is laid, uh, five weeks goes by. Then they'll hatch usually. Uh, 
um, you know, mid-April or something like that, early April, mid-April. Um, we've had a, a couple of cases where bad storms that come through in early April have really impacted our reproductive success because um, it's, it's the, they've hit at that really tender time when he, the chicks are emerging from the eggs and unable to care for themselves. Uh, about 10 to 12 weeks after they hatch is when they'll be fledging. So it's usually around the end of June, beginning of July. And those eggs that hatch and those babies that fledge, a year later, do they come back to that same nest? They don't, no. Uh, so they will, um, they'll stick around to that nest for, you know, for, for the rest of the summer, usually with the, uh, with the adults sort of taking care of them, helping them learn how to be an eagle. But at some point, they just kind of say, see you guys. Uh, and and, the, and the, the chicks are on their, are, and th those young are on their own. For the first five years of their life, they're, uh, they're Im or for the first four years of their life, rather, they, um, they're immature, we, we call them immature juvenile eagles. They have the dark brown plumage. Um, they, you know, aren't, they don't have that bright, brilliant white head, the, the yellow beak, the white tail that you classically think of when you think of a bald eagle. Um, and then around five years, they get that plumage, they become sexually mature, and they will, they'll set up a nest somewhere. They don't and they don't necessarily set up a nest right where they were were hatched. When you're out there on these locations, on this eagle survey, are all the eagles, Bill, stationary? Or do you get an occasional report of, oh, there's an eagle we can count, and look, it's flying. Yeah, well, yeah, and in fact, um, this, this survey starts at 7 o'clock in the morning. Uh, and it's still somewhat dark. And so when we get into position, as the sun comes up, the first thing we do is, as Brian described, is sort of scan the, scan the, the conifer, scan the, the, the horizon for the tree level. Because usually they're, they're going to be roosting overnight. They're going to be, you know, sitting in a tree. They like conifers because they can stay warmer in there. We like conifers because you can see the white head against the green background. Um, and then they'll start to rise. Then they'll start to, to move. And so after that, when I'm at the hatchery, because it's so much open sky there, it's a huge, huge field. And that's the field where the, there's 12 or so pumping stations that feed the 60 grow-out tanks at the hatchery. Right? So it's a huge open area. From that point on, we're scanning the, scanning the skies. Uh, there's a good spot we can see up and down the river because they'll use the river as sort of their highway if they're moving from one location to another. But as soon as they come over that hatchery, they start to soar over the hatchery. There also is a high attention uh, electric line that crosses through the hatchery property they love to sit up way up high on those on those the poles mm -hmm. and that's you know we saw that's what one of our count was one sitting up there but um i see them flying there a lot and sometimes you have to really look they get so high you say wait a minute what is that a little tiny speck and if you get your get your binoculars on it you need to be able to become familiar with the difference in its shape, its how the shape of its wings are versus a turkey vulture, an eagle. If it can, you see the white head and the white tail, then you say, okay, that's an adult eagle. Um, and so it's both. We look first to see if they're roosting, but once it warms up, then they're going to be flying around. Friend, do all 35 of your volunteers for the event a couple weeks ago? Did they, they bring binoculars along? Is that sort of like required? You know. I don't think it's a requirement, but uh, a num number also bring cameras, Wayne. So, you know, they're looking to, to get a photo. I, I'm 
I'm holding a camera because uh, part of my job is to document what we're doing. Um, and, uh, you know, so, uh, and Bill always has a couple extra pairs hanging around. Uh, last week, uh, during the midwinter count, excuse me, uh, one of our um, volunteers had a scope that was just off the wall, crazy good. So uh, we were able to, that roosting eagle that, you know, looked like just a little brown and white speck on a pole, we got a really good look at him thanks right, to that. Right, right. And one of the things I try to tell people, too, is is if you are out and you're seeing eagles and photographing eagles, is don't be afraid to get leg shots. I, what we really want to know is, is the eagle banded? Does it have a band on it? And if it, it and we, I want to see a picture of that, because that will tell us where that eagle came from. Uh, even better if you can get a picture of the band and get pick up some numbers. That'll tell you exact. We can find out exactly where that eagle was born and how old it is, and if it's a male or female. Uh, the other important thing of this time of year, if you see a, uh, an eagle roosting in a tree, don't approach it, especially if it's an immature. You're going to make it burn up calories to make it fly. When it's really cold like I was the other day, those guys were hunkered down. And this is a time of year that's hard for them to get food source. I would think exercise would warm you up, but not with eagles. Well, you know, the, the, the fact remains they're sitting there conserving their energy. And so uh, to make them fly is making them burn up their energy. And so they're going to need to find another food source sooner than later. Um, and that's really, that's really important, especially the immature. This is the hardest time of year. For the immature, especially the first-year immatures, um, they're still learning how to get through the winter, and they're going to rely on a lot of carrion. Uh, they're going to rely on, you know, things they can find or steal. Brian from the Don't Stack the Deck Department. When the volunteers and Chief Ranger Bill Reed go out on January 12th looking for eagles, is it against the rules to bring a fish along, throw it in a body of water? to draw the eagle out of the tree and have the eagle come down, and then you've seen an eagle. Is that not, is that not the way it works? <clears throat> well, now, we've done this show for a lot of years. That's the first time I've asked that question. That, that is. <laughs> I, I will note that uh, we, don't, we don't allow baiting of, of, of bald eagles here uh, in, uh, in Connecticut. Um, they are protected. You mean any time of the year or just on any, this survey? Any time of the year. Yeah. And this... Um, you know, this, we have had to remind some people of this who, you know, who have gone out and thrown, you know, raw chicken out on, on the ice or something like that on the, you know, to see what they can see. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So, uh, it, it, what it, it, baiting an eagle is not a great idea for a, a couple of reasons. You know, first of all, it's, um, you know, if it if it's not like a, a native fish that they're catching, it might not have quite the nutrition that, that they're looking for. Um, but but sometimes too, it can induce competition and uh, kind of aggressive competition in between adults and immatures. Uh, when they were reestablishing the eagle population back in uh, in the 80s in, in Maine, um, they were uh, one of the things that they were trying to do is when they uh, they were introducing juvenile birds. To, to nest. They were hacking, it was called hacking, basically raising eagles in sort of a semi-wild uh, uh, condition. Um, and one of the things that they were trying to do to help those birds along was to, to supply them with food. Mm. Um, and they thought this would be a great idea, but what it ended up being was all the adults came in and ended up just fighting, the, like, um, driving all of the juveniles away because there's an easy food source. So it induces a lot of competition uh, and aggression that, that might not necessarily otherwise be there, potentially. All right, let me so. see if Fran can follow my lead here. 
Fran, <laughs> who are George and Martha? Oh, well, they are probably one of the most famous pairs of eagles in southern New England. I think it might be safe to say they're uh, Webster Lake's resident eagles. Um, and uh, if you know anybody who lives on Webster Lake, you know that uh, there's probably more photos and more telescopes on George and Martha than on any other bird around. <laughs> um, did you and, post this? It just got posted 23 minutes ago. Yeah. we, we You did that from here? Yeah. No, we, I scheduled it last night, Wayne. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, it's 822, so yeah. it probably you said do it at midnight, right? Yeah. yeah so, wow. I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, we, we've been posting every day, and, and the last Green Valley goes into Massachusetts, so we want to, you know, kind of uh, give the Webster Lake pair mm -hmm. some love. Um, and uh, that you know why they're named George and Martha. Uh, the president and his wife? Well, um, Is that a good answer? The, yeah, the first, the first year that they have. successfully um, fledged an eagle there, uh, and this is after some unsuccessful nests that blew down hurricanes and the like, and um, it fledged, it first left its nest on the 4th of July. And so they had to name it, so they named it Freedom. And then there was a competition for the parents. And I, I just sort of shake my head at this, but, but I can see how that could happen. Now, to Brian's point, Last year, there were two eagles on the ice that had their talons were stuck together, and they were sitting on the ice. And there was another adult eagle sitting next to them. And what had happened is those eagles were fighting, and, and um, ice fishermen would throw fish out for the eagles. And those eagles were fighting over that one of the fish. And there's pictures of them stuck, talons stuck together. It's somewhat comical. But, but for the ice, there would be two dead adult eagles they would have drowned and and so it it is to their is to their point is that um that's how, that's how eagles fight they use their talons they fly at each other and they will you know chase, chase each other off if there, one comes into a nest territory that doesn't belong there and that sort of stuff brian would you qualify that situation as baiting where the ice fishermen threw a fish to the i mean they're not really doing it to attract an eagle they're already there I <laughs> did they break any rules uh I would say technically maybe, but in the spirit of the law, probably not. Right. Uh, it, no one's gonna. They're feeding the fish. At yeah. the time of year that's hard for them. <laughs> I, I don't have a problem with it, but but I'm but what I'm saying is that it's that's that can be sort of what it could have been a right. tragic result. I think what one of the question to, to your question is sort of the ethics of wildlife viewing and wildlife photography, right? Um, one of uh, one of the and this is a problem that uh, I think bird photographers in particular have really, really tried to grapple with is understanding what is okay and what's not. Where does that line exist? You know, is it okay to, to, set up, to set up a mouse for an owl to come take so you can get the shot of it coming at you with, uh, with its talons outstretched? Um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not for, you know... Uh, uh, beating at the same spot every day with something that you're not going to have that's not a natural food source or something like that, you know, making those birds habituated to people providing food for them. That's not, right. a, good that's idea. not a good idea. If you're just out there fishing and toss your fish off to the side and the eagle comes and snatches it, I don't... That's that, fair game. That seems yeah. fair to me. Yeah. The caption on this picture of George and Martha on the Last Green Valley's Facebook page says, This is George and Martha, who love at Webster Lake, and they are well-watched. Should be who love Webster Lake. It's one word too many yeah. in there, right? I gotta, I gotta, I gotta go edit, edit that right edit, now. Edit that one right now. 
<laughs> and it says, well watched from a distance. It is critical that you do not approach an eagle's nest, especially in the coming months when they first will lay eggs and they will care for their young. It's critical to keep a distance of at least 110, that's an interesting number, 110 yards from the nest. So there's the story about the eagles. And again, if you want to see some of the pictures of eagles in the quiet corner here or from the eagle survey that they did back on January 12th, that's the place to go. Go to the Last Green Valley's Facebook page. Now, as I am a proud Eagle Scout from my California days, back in the dark ages, it did flash back to me that it would seem to me a great connection, Bill, if you got some Eagle Scouts involved in your Eagle survey. Mm -hmm. Maybe next year? I think it'd be great if there are Eagle Scouts that <laughs> that uh, after they get their, their Eagle and you know, get as high as you can get in the in, in Boy Scouts. If they're still in the area, uh, not gone off to college somewhere, uh, we'd love I'm to. I'm not in the area where I got mine. I'm you're not in the area. 2,500 miles right. away now. But. <laughs> and uh, we certainly have engaged uh, Scouts a lot at Last Green Valley uh, for the last several years. Uh, we work with them in a variety of different programs. Um, and we also help uh, Eagle Scout, uh, you know, participants getting getting towards the eagle help find them locations and other groups that we can hook them up with it might a project might fit for them uh, but if there's eagle scouts out there they'll want to come and and see eagles as part of the mid-winter survey get in touch with ranger bill will help you out now the june picture in the 2019 wili eastern connecticut weather calendar is not a picture of an eagle although eleanor link did have one that was in our calendar of an eagle a couple of years ago but it's a tremendous close-up shot from the airline trail in north windham of some fledging e uh, herons that are in a nest. And my question isn't so much about the herons, because that's a really nice little rookery that's out there, but it's about the nests. And I'm out there a lot because of my walks, and I'm always amazed that those nests seem to survive the winter, even with no birds. And Brian, I just want to know, are these herons, and maybe eagles too, are they like civil engineers? How do they build those things to, <laughs> to, to withstand our 50, 60 mile an hour winds we have from time to time? So they, I mean, they are, birds build incredible nests. It, it, it must be said. Um, so, and, and especially herons, they, they will build these spin, they look little, like these little spindly things, but yet they support the weight of, uh, you know, four fully grown, full-sized birds. Yeah. Thrashing around on Our there. Largest when, when, bird. <laughs> yeah, um, and and eagle nests are, are, are another story altogether. I mean, those things can can weigh you know tons, literal tons. Um, the biggest ones that are out there. You know, we have some that are in pine trees that have been used for years and years and years that just get you. They keep stacking um, sticks on top of on, to, on top of, and you end up with you know a nest that that might be twelve feet tall, um, and you know six feet wide. Um, they're very good engineers. Um, and the other thing is they're constantly being tinkered with and fixed. Um, you, they'll, they'll be weaving sticks in and out of that all, all the time. That said, we do lose a lot. We do lose nests. Nests do blow down. Right. Nests do collapse. Um, and, uh, you know, if we're lucky, it happens in the off season. And if we're not, it, it, it can happen when, when there's eggs or chicks in there. And, and that usually doesn't end up well.
You know, we talked earlier about Fly Like an Eagle, and here's another picture on the Facebook page that was put up yesterday. This beautiful bald eagle was photographed Saturday by John Etheridge during Chief Ranger Bill Reed's bald eagle program at the Quinnebog Trout Hatchery. This eagle went from sitting in some pines across a small pond to in flight and soaring so high in the sky, it was a black speck in a matter of moments. Eagles are fast. A bald eagle can hit speeds between 36 and 44 miles an hour. Yep, they're faster than a Yugo. So it looks like uh, this this photo by John Etheridge. He must have zoomed in. That's, 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 yeah, he did. He did, and, that, and that's something important for people to know of these photos. Um, Wayne, the photographers are generally standing pretty far away. Um, we have some great photos of the nest over in Bigelow Hollow, and and there's literally a, I mean. Huge hundreds telephoto. of yards yeah. so um you know the, the photographers are being responsible and keeping a distance and and you know with technology you can crop in <laughs> well i love this eagle talk we do it every year after the mid-winter bald eagle survey that the last green valley runs in coordination with the dep which coordinates it statewide and uh, we got the numbers that we gave you earlier today 35 volunteers taking part in 15 survey teams 31 locations 17 adult bald eagles five juvenile bald eagles a total of 22 birds sighted in the four hour time frame between 7 a.m and 11 a.m on january the 12th folks another great show thank you both for coming in all, all three for coming in uh, that was fran kafalis from tlgv along with chief ranger bill reed from the last green valley and brian hess biologist in the wildlife division of deep